we got the job numbers and unfortunately too many people have jobs unfortunately there are not enough unemployed people and that's what's bringing the markets down so we were doing we were hovering at about twenty thousand dollars on bitcoin and then the jobs numbers came out Two hundred sixty-three thousand people got jobs instead of the forecast, which was two hundred fifty-five thousand people got jobs. So as a result, the market now believes that Powell's going to be more aggressive on rate hikes, and so the markets are down. Bitcoin is down at nineteen thousand six hundred twenty-one. Nasdaq is getting murdered, minus two point four percent, or down two hundred seventy-five points. So there's lots to talk about today. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the Binance hack. We're going to be talking about whether anything that the Fed's doing is actually working for the markets. And what if what the Fed is doing doesn't work? Then what happens to markets? Where do we go from here? So it's going to be an amazing show. Let's do it. It's Friday. Let's get out of bed. Let's wake up, guys. Get the fuck out of bed, bitch. Go. afternoon good night i don't know where you are but welcome 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 it's friday we're here to banter we've just had the job numbers come out too many people have jobs and that's apparently not a good thing for the markets well that's what we're going to be talking about today it's friday today remember fridays are our banter days today we've got one of the biggest banters we've ever had i'm so super excited for this banter um you're not going to get as much alpha per minute on any show on the internet ever that much i can promise you guys but before we start the show uh let's welcome all the new people to our channel so just welcome to our channel. Subscribe to our channel if you're not already subscribed. Just so you know, we were on 91% of people watching the show were subscribed to the channel. We slipped. We're now on like 87%, which means that 87% of the people are subscribed and there's 13% of the people that are watching the show right now that are absolute losers. So don't be a loser. Hit the subscribe button. Join the channel. Um, also, remember that our Friday banters are brought to you by the only VPN that crypto people should use. And that, of course, is NordVPN. So remember, guys, a VPN is really, 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 really part of the basics that you need if you're in crypto. Because what a VPN does is it hides your IP address and it, it basically reroutes your web traffic. And what that means is that you're actually surfing absolutely anonymously. And if you don't do that, then you're not surfing anonymously and you do risk getting hacked. Um, you risk letting exchanges and crypto apps know what your location is. That's not a really good thing. And then also just a little secret for our American users. You didn't hear it on Banter. You heard it somewhere completely different. But I'm just going to reiterate what you heard. If you want to trade on an exchange, right, and let's just say hypothetically that the exchange doesn't allow U.S. residents, I've heard a rumor that some people use a VPN. I, I'm not sure if it's true, and I'm certainly not recommending that anyone does that because that would be absolutely illegal. But I have heard rumors that some people use VPNs. And if you want to use a VPN, you go to the, the referral link below, you click on NordVPN, you use this code, and guess how much you pay to secure your crypto? You pay $2.98 per month. Now, if you're not spending $2.98 a month to secure your crypto, then what are you even doing here? That's, that, that's what we need to be asking yourselves. All right, so that's the formalities out of the way. It's Friday, big Friday. We've got some great guests. We've got Raul Paul, Mark Yusko. We've got Joey Krug. Welcome, guys. Hey, good to see you, Ryan. So nice to have you here. I'm just trying to calculate the IQ of this panel. So... Um, Got about 160 with Joey, and then probably about 160 with Mark, 40 with me, and then Raul. I'm not sure. What's your IQ, bro? I don't know. We'll go for 10. I'm yeah, going to cede all my points to the uh, gentleman from uh, Puerto Rico. Uh, <laughs> yeah. All right. Joey, you know, Joey wins I, this I, game. I, I get to start with the reveal, and you know, I, I, I got to do the jump. So I got, I I got the Bitcoin, orange pants on. Look, I have the the Bitcoin bull socks on today. So Bitcoin bull market. And it's because 
of the shirt. Keep calm, we'll print more. So we'll talk about all those things. But. We'll talk about that. I see you wearing the Do Kwan collection uh, pants, the orange pants they give you in prison, right? That's the Do, that's part of the Do Kwan collection. Oh, oh, you know, I, I guess I guess I didn't think about it that way, but uh, it's my it's my Friday specials every Friday, Bitcoin Friday. Okay, yeah. So I also have a pair of orange pants, and in the office we call them the Do Kwan collection because that's the Do I Kwan. Like <laughs> the Do Kwan's going to prison. All right, guys, there's lots to talk about today. Um, I think the first thing we need to talk about is the jobs numbers. Um, we'll spend two minutes on the actual jobs numbers. The market was expecting 255,000 jobs. There were 263,000 jobs, which means that unemployment's not slowing down at all. I mean, we thought that unemployment was slowing down. It's not slowing down. Um, it's a total also, lie. Hold it's, on. Let's just quickly, let's quickly look at inflation. Let's just quickly look at inflation. You have inflation. Inflation is supposedly slightly slowing down. But when you look slightly deeper into inflation, what you'll realize is that the reason that it looks like inflation is going down is because the part of inflation that's decreasing is the oil price or the, the energy section of, of, the, um, of inflation. That's the part that's decreasing. And the only reason why that's decreasing is because Joe Biden is selling the strategic oil reserves that the United States has and putting more oil into the market. So if I were to sum this up, I would say that nothing that the Fed is doing is actually working or nothing that the Fed has done up until now is actually working on bringing down inflation or slowing down uh, or, or slowing down unemployment, unemployment, slowing down employment. So increasing unemployment. How do you guys feel about that? Mark, I can see you got a lot to say about no, this. No, look, I, 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 I totally agree. How many interest rate hikes are going to fix the zero COVID policy and the supply chain disruptions in China? How many interest rate hikes are going to fix the price of wheat in Ukraine? How many oil price, I mean, uh, interest rate hikes are going to change the price of Russian gas to Europe? It, 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 it has nothing to do with anything. The, the real problem is the jobs numbers, total nonsense. It's the birth death ratio. It's a nonsense number. And it's because they took 300,000 people out of the labor force in the last month because they How? turned 65. Because when you turn 65, you're out of the labor force. That's nonsense. Have you been to Walmart? Like half the people that work there are over 65. It's, it's nonsense. And it's all about a narrative. And then you got the um, inflation stuff. Look, <laughs> the, the problem is Joe Biden is committed to sub $3 gasoline by the election because there's a perfect inverse correlation between presidential popularity and gas prices. So he's releasing the SPR. The problem is the Saudis have said to you, buddy, because they just had to deal with Russia and they just cut production by 2 million barrels. I mean, I'm sorry, by 2%. So now oil prices are back to 90. So I said in January that by the election, oil will be 60 bucks. I got to change my mind. I, I think Saudi is basically telling him to stick it. Raul, what do you think? I think economic data data is, all, is generally lagging. Also, it's one data point a month, right? We're used to markets that give us multiple data points every second kind of thing. So one data point a month is pretty noisy. You don't, you don't look at what last hours was in bitcoin versus this hour and think oh my god this is the change of trends you you realize that it's noisy so the forward-looking stuff suggests the economic uh, picture is getting bad quickly and usually unemployment follows and we've seen it with the adp and stuff like that's more frequent in in data terms so i think it comes down um i think what we're doing is we're in the final death throes of this oh my god the fed keep needing to go and go and go meanwhile if I look at two-year rates, they're at 4.3%. I think the one issue is something Mark touched on is the oil price does need to go down and stay down because it is important, as Ran, you said. It's a big part of this. It's not all of the inflation picture. Housing, everything else is slowing down anyway. But oil does need to go down and stay down, and there's a fight going on. I think the fight will get won by demand. I think they will end up crushing demand because European demand, if it doesn't get crushed our interest rate rises, it's going to get crushed by brownouts. <laughs> I mean, you know, in South Africa, Ran, what they do is they cut power. If you don't have we, we now, we now, where we live, we have about, what are we, eight hours a day now? Six, we're between six and eight hours a day of no power. So literally the power shuts down. Now, most people don't actually understand what that means. They think 
your lights just switch off. It's not about your light switching off. It's about the traffic light switching off. It means you all of a sudden have a lot of traffic, which means you can't really commit to getting to a meeting on time because you never know where, where you're going to be when the lights switch off. Um, so, but we've become used to it. And so what we've done is most houses have generators or inverters or UPS supplies. We're in an office. We've become used to it in South Africa, but Europe is not used to it yet. So the, Europe doesn't have every home with a generator and every, you know, every office with an inverter or, or something underneath. But for us, it's a reality, and we just we live with tw with fourteen hours or sixteen hours of power every single day. That's we, we just used to it. And but when, actually, he, when he when he forced German industry to not use power and households to use less power, you know, it will affect the oil markets over time. So you know, I think demand gets destroyed purposefully. And what they'll do is to to Mark's T-shirt. The flip side of that is you have to pay people for that because what they don't want to do is hurt the voters. So they'll hurt industry, but they'll give voters checks, which is stimulus. So South Africa, South Africa, I, I'll, I'll give you guys a great, a great example. South Africa is a very, very, very resource and commodity rich country. We're big exporters of gold. We're big exporters of coal. We're big exporters of a, a lot of platinum, etc. But we didn't actually capitalize on the, on the commodity cycle now because we couldn't, because we never had electricity. So we couldn't mine. So the mines were in practical shutdown. We couldn't refine the stuff because we didn't, you had no electricity. So imagine if you're running a gold mine, but they say, look, guys, you're running a gold mine, but you only have 14 hours or 16 hours of electricity every single day. You, you physically just can't get the, the stuff out the, out, the, out the ground. And so South Africa didn't capitalize on the huge commodity cycle. And that's what's going to happen to Europe. Europe's just going to become uncompetitive because it becomes so expensive. Joey, I want to go over to you. I know you guys look at the macro picture. You guys have got pretty profound views on, on the macro picture. How are you guys looking at, at this relative to how you set out. I mean, a while back you said that, I think you said the pain was going to be slightly less than this, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, so I think, I think like the the main things that kind of I'm looking at right now are, you know, one being uh, kind of like shipping prices. Um, I think it's a good kind of like leading indicator of inflation. Um, and you tend to see it, you know, go way up, you know, six months or so before the inflation numbers go up. If you look historically in the same thing before they go down, um, yeah, there, there's some positive data there. It's, it's still quite elevated. Uh, so if you look at shipping prices, you know, late 2020, you're talking to ship a container ship from China to the U S you're talking $1,500. Uh, at some point in 2021, it, it peaked at like 11,000. Um, you know, it's kind of been steadily declining recently, but it's still at about $3,700. So still, you know, t t over two X what it was, um, before the inflation really spiked off. Um, and then the other thing is, you know, there there is actually a pretty good index. Um, <clears throat> some people at the New York Fed created this supply chain pressure index. And so you can basically see, like, how many standard deviations is the supply chain, like, out of whack versus normal. It, it's still about uh, one standard deviation above normal, uh, which is actually a lot. Like, there's some supply chain issues in July 2008, um, which, like, at the time was considered bad. Uh, and it, And it's still, you know, the same level as back then even. And I guess the last thing um, you know, that I look at, which was, you know, starting to see some positive data, and then if you look more recently, kind of looks more concerning again, is uh, the Cleveland Fed has these like inflation now cast, which are usually pretty accurate. They only go one to two months out, but they're usually pretty spot on. And, you know, the September numbers that they're forecasting kind of look the same. But if you look at what they're projecting in October, obviously only, you know, a week's worth of data to go off of. But they're projecting a CPI number of about 0.7 uh, core inflation. They're projecting about 0.5%. And that's month over month. You know, it's not an annualized number. That's that's projecting that much in one month alone. Um, and so that that's like somewhat concerning because you're you're getting to kind of pretty high inflation numbers like we were seeing back in the summer. Um, and, and you would have probably, I would have probably expected that you might see more of like September and October kind of repeating. Um I don't have much much additional color there just because, like, you know, we only have seven days of data or so. But that's something that I'm paying attention to and looks, you know, fairly concerning. Yeah, so, the other thing is the break-even inflation rates have shot up again. They they got low. The two-year break-even got well below 2%. And then it just rocketed high in the last couple of days. So, yeah, there's something in this inflation picture that's still unsettling, whether it's the oil market or something else. I don't know. Or it's the ongoing China situation, Europe situation. Yeah, y'all, it's but, not... It's not inflation. No, it's supply. <laughs> it's this. It's currency devaluation. The house I'm sitting in in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, according to Zillow, went up 
in the last 12 months. It's bullshit. My house didn't grow. It didn't get more efficient, right? I actually had to put money into it to keep it from depreciating. So that's currency devaluation. Everybody's like, oh, this is the 70s. This is nothing like the 70s. Nothing like the 70s. The 70s was demographically a period of lots of young people, 25 to 45 year old people, 25 to 45 year old people, perfectly nice people, a lot of them on this call, okay? Not productive, not productive members of society because they're being trained to be productive from 45 to 65. And so you borrow from your customers in the form of higher prices. That's what inflation is. Look around the world, any place where there's lots of young people, you have high inflation. When you have lots of old people, you have deflation. Japan, Europe, United States. Every single day, every single day, 10,000 people turn 65 in this country. Same thing in Europe. And that doesn't change for a decade. Working age population growth is going to zero with certainty, right? There's nothing you can do to fix it. You can't fix it. You, you could try to fix it with immigration, but we're going the wrong way on that, right? If you're up to me, I would send planes, literally empty planes to China and India, and I'd get all the PhDs and I'd bring them back and I'd give them free land in the middle of the United States and say, just build something. And that could solve a little bit of it, but we're not doing that. We're going the opposite way. You're like, stay away. So this, this idea that somehow we're going to have this massive spike of inflation, it's temporal, right? It's oil prices. Oil prices were manipulated down by the Saudis right after the lockdowns. They sent ships over to the ship channel in Houston. They filled up all the storage, all of it, like 100% of it. And so the West Texas producers literally had no place to put their oil, which is why oil prices went negative in April of 2020. And so then they stabilized back around 40 bucks. Then they went to 120. Okay. That's what we're seeing in the CPI. But that's this. It's the printing of money. And that's why everybody's like, oh, well, you know, Bitcoin's not a good, good uh, inflation hedge. Are you joking? In a nine-month period following the lockdowns, the Fed printed half of all the dollars that have ever existed in the history of our republic. 246 years, one half were printed in nine months. So what should have happened to the price of Bitcoin? It should have doubled. Because remember, one Bitcoin is one Bitcoin. But we don't but price Bitcoin in Bitcoin. We price right. Bitcoin in dollars or euros or yen or, or renminbi or whatever. And so it went from 10000 back then to 20000 today. Hmm, that's exactly what it should have done. But yeah, it's noisy in between because price got stupid in November of 2021 because a bunch of people took out leverage. I tell you, know, I throw my brother under the bus all the time. They stole my Bitcoin. What are you talking about? It's like, well, I went to BitMEX. Like, stop. You levered an 80 vol asset. And the price went down. And they, you didn't make the margin call. And they seized your collateral. You're a fucking idiot. Okay? They was, I was talking bit. before the show about how I took a 10x leverage position. If he's an idiot, can you imagine what I am? <laughs> he had higher yeah. than 10x. He had higher than 10x. You don't lever 80 vol assets. Kyle, you don't lever 80 vol assets, bro. I've been <laughs> but okay, guys. But I mean, if I look at what's going on here, the Fed is increasing and increasing and increase and increasing interest rates. It's been unprecedented. We've had 375 basis points rate hikes in a row, which is, I think, unprecedented territory. And if it's not unprecedented, the last time this happened was in the, I think, in, in the 70s. 1930. It's not having an impact. It's not having an impact. And the reason why it's not having an impact is because this is not demand related. This is supply related. At what point does the Fed put their arms up and say, look, if we carry on doing this, we're going to create a very, very, very strong dollar. And if we create a very, very, very strong dollar, all those concerns that the United Nations had and voiced in the last week and other countries with high US dollar denominated debt have been voicing actually become a much bigger concern than the inflation concerns that we have. At what point does the, is the Fed forced to stop as a result of that? The Fed, the Fed likes a strong dollar because it imports deflation. So you're buying goods at cheaper prices. So right now they're motivated for it. Other nations are not so impressed by it, but it's kind of okay just about. 
For emerging markets, it's a real problem because there's not enough dollars around. There's a shortage of dollars. So it's a game of musical chairs. And Sri Lanka was the first one to fall on the floor. Somebody ripped the chair away. And one by one, countries are falling by the wayside. So I think the thing is, is what's really interesting is people generally say the stock market needs to break. And I look at this and think, actually, the bond market's broken. That's It's decoupled from break-even inflation rates. It's decoupled from from growth projections, is decoupled from the business cycle in an unprecedented manner. So we've broken the government bond market, which is much more important. The equity market will do what it, it does, whether it goes to new lows and has another spike low or whatever. It's the bond market we should pay attention to. And what was the answer in the UK? Mark's T-shirt was the answer in the UK. Is they bought gilts. And I think Europe is next. I know Arthur Hayes just wrote a piece on this, and I wrote a piece on this, is Europe will be next because if Italian spreads blow out, they'll be forced by their new mechanism to buy Italian, Italian bonds. Um, so we're, we're starting to see the bond market becoming the main focus here. And if you break the bond market, it stops all financing of everything. And that's why the Fed will stop. They've broken the big one, which is that. The dollar, yes, it could go further. And if it gets really unruly, then that will be another issue and Fed swap lines will come out. The ECB drew a small amount of Fed swap lines last month, um, but they will, they will all come begging to the US for dollars, and that will be the change of the liquidity cycle. That's the dollar chart. That's the Dixie chart. I think we've all been very familiar with it. It's, it's been parabolic. You can see the yellow line just shows the parabola of the, of the Dixie. Um, we peaked at about 115. Let's call it 115 on, on, on the dollar, on the Dixie. I mean, is is it not scary if this dollar index continues to go up and gets up to 120? I mean, there's no. I mean, Raul, I think you said that there was zero resistance between here and 120, or, or, or 110 and 120. Is it is it a scary scenario if the dollar gets up to 120, well, or is it, is that something that markets that look at? Markets look at rate of change. The rate of change of the dollar is high, but not the highest ever yet. But it's getting there. If you were to have the next spike to a 120. Um, it's getting up there with the highest rate of change in the history of the dollar. If it goes through that, okay, then we're all fucked. Joey, what do you think? Strong dollar, good and bad. Yeah, I mean uh, the the only I view I have, uh, you know, it's just kind of from like a from a technical standpoint. You know, when the dollar tends to go way up, um, at least over the last year or two, you, you tend to see crypto prices react in a, in a downward direction. Um, and so, yeah, if, if the dollar got to like 125, you know, for, for sure, at least from from my seat, that would not be favorable for for you know the price of ETH or, or Bitcoin. Um, I don't have too much of a view on on the direction of the dollar, though. Um, you know, Raul and, and Mark probably have better uh, insights on yeah, on that I, specifically. I, look, I, I just don't think I don't think it's happening. You know, you have to you have to go back a long way to find dumber policy decisions. Than what the Fed is doing right now, okay? There's only only twice in 200 years where have been worse policy decisions. The worst ever was 180 years ago uh, in 1840, and you know we had no Fed, right? We're in the free banking era. There was no national bank, and we had a garden variety recession, and all banks were all freaking out because they had all issued their own money, right? Texas issued their own money, companies issued their own money. Literally had all kinds of script running around the United States. And long story short, they raised rates and caused the depression, right? First depression since the country started in 1700s. And 90 years later, you had the second worst policy decision in history. Two part. One, the dumbest people in Congress, which is kind of like an oxymoron, but okay, Smoot and Hawley, dumbest people ever in the history of American Congress, decided to pass legislation to put up tariffs into the crash, right? Deglobalization. Globalization is good. Adam Smith was right 450 odd years ago, okay? Deglobalization is bad. Populism is bad. Nationalism is bad. All isms other than capitalism are bad. Isms are not good. Ferris, Ferris Bueller was right. And so they, that was the first problem. Then the second problem was the Fed back then, which had just been created, the creature from Jekyll Island in 1913, raised rates and turned a garden variety recession into the Great Depression. The worst year in the stock market was not 1929, it was 1931. 
we are on pace to have the worst year in history now, other than 1931, and probably exceed 1931. The 60-40, to Ralph's point, is the worst in all of market history. 140 years, never been a worse 60-40. So everything's, in fact, I put out a tweet Friday, uh, said breaking, colon, everything. everything. Hold on, I think I have that tweet. I think I, 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 think and, I kept that tweet. And then literally on Sunday, what do they do? The UK says, keep calm, we'll print more. And they saved the pension system in Britain. The pension system in Britain was bankrupt. Let that word sink in for a second. They why were was the, well, Why was the what? What caused leverage? The leverage. Fucking idiots. It's leverage. 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 Leverage can never, 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 never make a bad investment good. Never. Okay. It can, and often does, make a good investment bad. Buying long bonds is not a bad thing. Buying long bonds on leverage into a rising rate scenario is suicide. But the I'm investment bankers, oh, here, we'll give you these derivatives for free. Anything that's free is very costly because they're taking 4% off the top and they're giving it to you at precisely the wrong time because guess what? It's uh, easier to sell stuff to people when it's hot, right? It's not easy to sell straw hats in the winter, right? So you got to sell them in the summer. And so when everything's going great, they want to sell you leverage because they're like, oh, interest rates are low. I got this LDI, you know, liability-driven investing. I need to match my assets and liabilities. So I'll lever up. Look, they sold a bill of goods by Ray Dalio and Risk Parity. One of the dumbest long-term, look, short-term it works in a falling rate environment. It's awesome. Lever up. Great. And Ray, Dal Ray Dalio is a multi-billionaire and I'm not, so I'm not, I'm not criticizing him, but um, actually I am. But the idea of risk parity in a pension fund and using leverage, they should not shoot. Uh, they, they, anyway. Uh, look, I'll, I'm going to be back in a sec because I've got a 10 X leverage position on Bitcoin. And I, I need to close it. <laughs> <laughs> but it, but it is i mean mark a big thing about this is the um the pension system is the issue here this is what people don't realize we talk about these baby boomers it's the pension system that's the issue it's in the u.s as well 60 40 obliterate pension returns so calpers oh calstras everybody's oh. underwater again so what you've got is future liabilities exploding and the only way of dealing with that is printing more money. No, so, buy Bitcoin. The, no, no. The only way to fix it, literally, is to put Bitcoin in the pensions. We'll talk about. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about that in a sec. I see that Tom Crown. Tom, Tom Crown is in the comments here, um, and he wants to join the show. Somebody get him a Streamyard link. Get him oh, on the. Yeah. Get him on the show. Get him on the show. All right. Let's let's quickly just talk about um, how long this can last and when would be a good time to start deploying capital. Um, and I think I want to go, I want to start this with Joey and say, at this point, would you be deploying capital onto the open market? And when I say onto the open market, I'm not talking about the venture capital deals where you guys are getting VC deal flow, which is absolutely incredible. And you're getting amazing terms because you are, because you are who you are and you're probably the best investors in the space. But would you be looking at deals on the open market? Definitely. Um, so, so I think, you know, one interesting thing about our, our, current fund structure is we have the ability to deploy in early stage deals as well as, you know, public markets. And while I do think a lot of the early stage stuff, especially in, you know, seed and series A has come down in price, the public markets, I think are actually even usually more favorable right now. Um, you know, th that's something that's not going to stay true forever, but at these current levels, I mean, if you just kind of like level set for a moment, ETH is trading very similar to the 2017, 2018 peak, but it has, you know, infinitely more, like it's a thousand X plus more actual usage, things built on top, um, that sort of thing. So I think if you look at kind of what's happening um, in the crypto space today, it's, it's far, it's light years more advanced than it was five years ago. Obviously the, the macro environment is different, but I don't think it's so bad uh, that, that like it warrants the same prices that we had five years ago. It says a lot of stuff we're picking up in the open markets that, that I just feel is, very attractive, um, both kind of in absolute terms, but also relative to what we're seeing in the private markets. 
So what ki- what kind of stuff are you looking at in the open markets? Yeah, so the so the framework I, I would use is like first you have to beat some base asset. Uh, you know, you could denominate you know yourself in Bitcoin or ETH, and that's kind of like you're like all else equal. You know, I'll, I'll own a pile of that. Um, and then you know once you have that, for us it's most mostly ETH, and then um, you can start looking at stuff on top. I still think a lot of the stuff built on top of ETH hasn't actually quite bottomed yet versus ETH. Um, if you want just like a kind of like, you know, napkin cloth way to measure this, you can look at DPI, the, the DeFi Pulse Index versus ETH. It's kind of been in a pretty consistent downtrend in the last 18 months. Um, there are pockets of DeFi that I think are interesting. Um, you know, you look at projects like GMX that are doing, you know, perpetual futures, that sort of thing. There's kind of areas. It's hard for us to buy a lot of stuff like that just because um, the market caps are small. You know, but but if I was a, a smaller investor, I would I would probably deploy into areas like that. Um, versus right now, we're kind of mostly just I would say in a sort of holding pattern, waiting for the kind of the larger DeFi stuff to bottom uh, versus ETH. I mean, when Joey, when you say those are too small for you, just give the viewers some kind of context on the amount of money that you guys are managing at the moment. And just by the way, uh, uh, Tom Crown, we have sent you a DM on Twitter. Okay, so he's gonna he's gonna join the show. Get him on, man. If he's in the comments, get him on. Yeah. Um. So, Joey, just give us a, a some context um for the the numbers of how much money you guys are managing, more or less, and kind of like the check size that you write when you do get something on. Sure. Yeah. So, so at Pantera, we're managing kind of you know low four billion uh, range at, at at these prices, um, and you know when it comes to check sizes, uh, I'll speak about public market positions. You know. I would say if we're buying something in the public markets, like, you know, we, we want to be able to buy at least, you know, 15 million, I would say to, to get a meaningful position on for something that we think is like very high upside, but a small amount of the portfolio. Um, I guess GMX is probably changing recently because they just got the Binance listing. But before that, man, it was, it was tough to buy that asset in any, you know, even at 10 million, you, you'd be hard to put a position on. I mean, I've got some, I've got some really small shit coins that maybe with 15 million, we could do magic there, Joey, you and I, so I'll get hold of you after, after this. Um, Raul, Mark, are you guys buying on the open market yet? Are you guys, do you guys yeah. think valuations? I mean I, I mean, I think last time I came to the show, I, I thought June was the low in ETH. Um, and I still think that's the case. The thing I'm looking at is much like Joey is, I'm looking at like the Solana ETH cross. You know, Solana's down 85% from the highs. Right. It's got a lot of network activity, second only to ETH, really. And it bottomed it, it, it bottomed in June. It retested in September in that cross. I kind of like all of this. I, I think the conditions are fully in place for both the macro to be turning over time and for these um, for for the whole space to start doing well. And you'll see the risk-seeking behavior from something like Solith. It's not a high-risk bet, so we're not talking about small tokens here. We're talking about, you know, the next biggest, one of the next biggest ecosystems. If that starts outperforming, it tells us we've got some um, ability to take risk in the space. So I'm pretty comfortable here. So I think, you know, if you can, if you've got capital, not many people have got any capital left, but if you've got capital to add, you can go behind the sofa and find some money just keep averaging in because this kind of level of oversoldness, this kind of peak macro fear is what you want to be looking for. Yeah, hundred percent. So a couple things to echo one June 13th was the bottom. That was the end of crypto winter. Uh, actually, I think I called it on, on your show when we were on, uh, yeah, you did uh, indeed. and June 13th was the end of crypto winter. Now we're in crypto spring. Crypto spring is not crypto summer. Crypto spring is like spring right? It's cold some days, it's warm some days, it's windy, it's muddy, it's kind of yucky. So we're going to have volatility. So we're not going to have a a straight parabola. That starts next summer, which to me is sometime in Q1 next year leading up to the the next halving uh, in the cycle. So so that's that's the the first part. The second part is, uh, Joey mentioned the word base. That's my thing, right? Bitcoin, Avalanche, Solana, Ethereum. Everyone should have a base, okay? And you should own the Bitcoin. Here's the thing. Bitcoin, someone, I was on uh, Maria Bartiromo's show uh, a month ago, and she said, shouldn't we be buying tech stocks down here? You know, after, I'm like, are you kidding me? Look, tech stocks, 
despite being down 30 plus percent, some of them down more, like 80, 90, you know, Shopify. People are, oh, Shopify's cheap. Are you joking? Right? It could go down 90% from here and still be expensive. Okay. They don't make any money. They don't make money. So, and the growth story is gone. But my point was stocks are in the 93rd percentile expensive. They've only been more expensive than they are today, 7% in all of history. Bitcoin has only been cheaper 3% of its history. So in 14 years, Bitcoin's only been cheaper relative to its long-term trend 3% of the time. So you've got to own that. In terms of, of ETH, uh, I am not, uh, I don't like the change. And everyone's like, oh, the merge is great. I'm like, I don't get it. You had proof of work, which made you different. Now you're proof of stake, like all these others, and you're not as fast and you're not as, so I, I don't know. I, I think you made yourself a target. Maybe it'll work out. Maybe it won't. But but I think Solana and look, we're you know what? owners. You know, I could take you on. I could take you on right now on the proof of work versus proof of stake discussion. I could do it, but I'm going to leave it to Joey because I want to hear his view. Sure. Yeah, so, I, I think like if you look at you know the the ETH merge thing, it's it's to me it's less about like you know the merits of switching to proof of stake versus proof of work, which it which is sort of almost like an intellectual debate, you know, like it, it, it kind of matters and, and, and there's certain things, but, but for, and I think for Bitcoin, it matters just given like the history of Bitcoin and it's, it's monetary policy and all that sort of thing. I think for ETH though, you know, if you, if you envision it less as like a monetary base and more as just trying to build like this, like, you know, smart contract platform computing layer, yeah. um, you have to make optimization choices that focus around scalability and the the part about the merge that's important isn't even really what happened a few weeks ago in my mind. It's kind of the the next hard fork post merge, uh, which enables a ton of stuff for for layer two scaling. Um, so if you look like you know if you look at stuff like Arbitrum, um, you know, or, or Optimism, you know, today they do pretty high throughput, but nothing close to something like Solana. If you look at kind of what what the next hard fork after the merge will enable, is it enables basically a, a more efficient way to to do those things such that you actually get pretty close to Solana scalability numbers, but on ETH with all the kind of security guarantees and, and uptime benefits that you have uh, from, from ETH itself. So that, that's kind of where I see the benefits. Less on like, you know, POW versus P, PO state per stake, but more just like opening up scalability. Yeah, I think, no, and, I, and I think that's, Joe is exactly right as, as always. Um, but, but my point is, is just that, look, if, if you are being attacked, right? So there's all the ETH killers out there and they all come at it saying, oh, we're faster or we're stronger or we're better. Okay, maybe. I mean, the problem with Solana, oh God, we made lots of money in Solana. We own a lot of Solana, still trying to sell it. Um, but here's the thing. It's right 99-ish percent of the time. If I'm doing accounting, can't use it. If I'm doing gaming or an NFT or a little glitch in the corner, I don't care. You know, fine. We can use it. Um, so for NFT platform, interesting. I mean, but you know, I, I, the I, other I, stuff that's that's being built on top, and and the, the the other place where there's huge value, Uniswap. Uniswap will do two ish, maybe three billion of revenue this year, and it's trading at six. The only thing that that I'm struggling with is I said again publicly, like like most things, um, that. Uh, in fact, one funny story. So I'm heading to Vegas for the Web3 conference next week. And I don't go to Vegas very often, but my wife came with me a couple years ago and she's only seen me speak one time. Got to the end of my talk and she said, Mark, you can't say things like that. I'm like, what did I say? She says, no, no, you, you say things so forcefully. I'm like, well, what's wrong with that? She says, well, people will believe you. I'm like, well, that's the whole idea. She says, well, what if you're wrong? I'm like, I'm wrong all the time. I just changed my mind. So the key <laughs> is that, um, you know, Uniswap has this massive, you know, amount of revenue relative to its market cap. The dogs, the dog coins, I said the, bull, the bear market will be over when Doge is worth zero, which is what it should well, be. Doge is, Doge is not going to be worth zero for as long as Elon has to buy Twitter. I mean, if you read those court transcripts, 
um, what you'll see is that he, he was pretty serious about integrating Doge into Twitter. I mean, that, that, that pretty much That's been my base way. case forever is he's going to use it for streaming car payments. He's going to use it for interspatial payments between satellites and servers, and he'll use it for Twitter. I'm sure of it. All right. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, yeah, look, I'm not a big Doge fan in terms of technology because I don't think there's much technology to be a fan of. But I mean, if people use it, you ain't going to stop people from using it. We've seen but more. They're going to have to hire a developer or something. I mean, I, I mean, there's just. I mean, Raul has a point. You know, I, I have a friend who just bought um, Getter, uh, you know, the, 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 um, alt-right kind of social media thing he wants to use it no no not get her not get her parlor parlor um and he wants to use it in parlor like no because then it would actually have a use so if i think i think i think don't be so quick to write off doge i mean if you want to write off something write off xrp i mean that one you can write off but i mean don't don't be that quick to write off Dutch. I, I want to just talk a little bit about, yeah, I just want to talk a little bit about Q3 earnings, which are now going to be reported coming out. Before you to Doge, Joey, would you buy Doge? No, I mean, it's, it, it's an interesting thing to, to trade around sometimes. Uh, in our quant strat, we actually used to trade Doge because it was back in the last market because it was super liquid. Um, yeah, it's not something I would buy like All on right. a fundamentals basis. He also said that they buy $15 million at a time. Can you imagine what would happen to Doge if, if, Joey, if Joey did decide to write the check? That would be, that would be, like, that would be like an Elon pump. I want to talk about uh, Q3 earnings. So one of the things that is quite scary is if the earnings are in Q3 start to reflect the slower economy and we start missing earnings forecasts or earnings, uh, uh, um, you know, if we start missing the earnings forecasts, how do you think that we're starting to see earnings coming out? Well, we're starting to see probably the third week of October is the one that we should all have our eyes on because that's pretty much where the tech earnings are going to start coming out. You've got Meta, you've got Google, uh, all reporting on, on this week. How do you think this earnings report is going to look? How do you think this, disaster. this earnings Complete Raul, Raul, disaster. Let me start, let me start with Raul because I know Raul's got a hard stop in about five or six minutes. So, yeah, just let me start with you. How do you see this? By the way, Raul, the last time you came on the show, you were with Yuri, and, and the one bastion of hope we all held on to was the fact that earnings remain stagnant. And we said, you know what, if earnings remain good and PEs go down, cool, we've we factored that in. But if earnings go down too, then, then we've got a big problem. So look, earnings follow the business cycle. The business cycle is going lower. Question is, is what is priced in? There's a lot of people who do it from bottoms up, which what Urian's talking about is, Okay, where are all the earning estimates? Do they need to come down? When I look at the year-on-year -year rate of change of the S&P 500 versus the ISM survey, it's already pricing the ISM at 42. So that's a deep recession already. Could it go a bit further? Yes. So just, the question just, is, what the ISM is for those of you, for Institute those of Supply Manager Survey. It's basically like a monthly version of GDP. But when it gets below 47, it prices a recession. It's currently at about 50, which tells you growth is slowing down now. Once it crosses 47, it means we go to recession. And it's pricing in a reasonably deep recession. But the other thing, as I just wrote about this in Global Macro Investor, I went through almost every single, uh, every single investment survey that I could possibly find, from the Bank of America surveys for institutional investors through to the AAII surveys, institutional investment surveys, the whole lot. This is the most bearish everybody's been ever in the history of equity markets since all of these surveys began, mm -hmm. essentially. So... Mark's right. They're definitely going to come down. But the question is, is, is the impact as big as everybody fears or is it already in the price? If everybody's record bearish, you know, when you see KOTU and the massive tech hedge funds, 70% cash, yeah. you kind of know how bearish people are because their job is to be invested in technology. So that's my caveat with that is it kind of sets itself up potentially for a false break lower. I, I have a question about that. <clears throat> I've always been taught that markets bottom when people run out of cash and that markets can never bottom when everybody is sitting in the highest levels of cash. So what you've just said is right. Hedge fund managers are in, in the largest levels, highest levels of cash that they've ever been in. Crypto funds, if you look at the number of crypto funds that raised and how much cash is sitting on the sideline, I mean, just Joey has got a, a, a bundle of cash sitting on the, on, on the sideline. 
How can these markets bottom? How can these markets bottom if people are sitting there with so much cash? No, the, the biggest fear is actually not that. The path of pain is not down because everyone's prepared for it. Everyone's got the insurance. What the path of pain is, is if they don't go down. That's when they're all fucked. If, if technology went up in a straight line from here, KOTO are going to be forced to buy as the markets rise. I think the path of pain, looking at a 12-month, six-month time horizon, the path of pain is high. And it's with cryptos the same. The crypto hedge funds are very gun-shy still. Everybody's gun-shy. And so if it goes high, there's a lot of institutions we've talked about many times on this show on the sidelines, Joey knows that too. I mean, everybody is interesting. They've done the work. The moment the price goes up, everyone's short the upside. They're like being short calls. Everybody is. So I'm no, super was, fascinated by the skew. That was Monday, Tuesday, right? All it took was an emergency Fed meeting. They didn't even say anything. There was no release. There was no, it was just the rumor that maybe the pivot's coming and you had a face melter. 6% rally. But remember, you will never see an up 4% day in a bull market. Not ever. No, there's never been one. You only have up 4% days in bear markets because a bear market is a market that goes down most days and goes up sharply on good news or perceived good news. A bull market is one that goes up most days and goes down sharply on bad news or perceived bad news. So that's where we are in, in crypto, okay? We're in the beginnings of a bull market, goes up most days, goes down sharply on bad news or perceived bad news. And the equity markets are still in a bear market. And so, but, but Browse exactly, look, AMD last night did miss badly, like super bad. And they told us that Microsoft's gonna miss badly. Anyone who's dependent on PCs is gonna get crushed this quarter. So it's gonna be ugly. But the point is, we have this, this phenomenon. I call it the high jump, you know, f uh, falsification. You take the bar off the rack. You put it on the ground. You jump over the bar. Claim you're the high jump champion. So a year ago, company A in the tech says, I'm going to make a buck this quarter. Then six months ago, I'm going to make 50 cents. Then last week, oh, I'm only going to make 10 cents. And they report 11. And everybody's like, yay, it's a beat. Are you fucking kidding me? No, that's not a beat. Okay, that is a miss by 89 cents. But the expectations issue, everyone's bearish, everybody's in cash. The pain trade is definitely a face melter if the Fed changes direction. Uh, Raul, I know that you've got a hard stop. So uh, I'm going to thank you so much for coming. Good to see you, my friend. I know that you, you mentioned that you've got a hard stop now. So yeah, thank you so I've got a later on the day, I've got a, uh, an AMA. I think it's on YouTube, Twitter, Real Vision, everything. So anybody who wants to join that, you get more of my thoughts from that. But anyway, take care, everyone. Have a great weekend. What we'll do is we'll leave a link to that AMA in the description so you guys can hop on to Ralph's uh, AMA later. So as soon as it's ready, just text us the link and we'll put it in the description of the, of the show. I only uh, have so one question, Ralph. Yes, my friend. Why, how are you not aging? Do you have the picture in the closet? How are you not aging, my friend? <laughs> Yeah. And I see you. Okay, so Ral, thanks so much, my friend. Good to see you. See you all. Take care. Have a good one. Nice yeah, right. And we've got Tom Crown, who actually was just in the comments, and we, we, yeah. we decided to add him. Welcome, brother. How are you? Doing good, man. Started from the bottom, now I'm here. And somehow I'm on the show. It's great to see you guys. Uh, Rand, <laughs> thanks guys. for having me. In the glasses. Joey, are you concerned about Q3 earnings, or you just think that it's already all priced in? I'd say it's probably not all priced in. I mean, to, to Mark's point, you know, you pull up the AMD stock chart, which I was just pulling up uh, in the background and like, you know, it's, it's down nine ten percent on the news of their earnings. And so, you know, and, and they're a massive semiconductor co company, right? Like clearly wasn't all, all priced in. Um, and, and even, even in eras where like you have like pretty good, like earnings forecasts on sites like Estimize and stuff, like, like a slight surprise stocks will often move five, 10, 15, 20%. So I would say it's probably not priced in, but, I'm not sure it'll have that much of an effect on, on like, you know, crypto per se. Like, I, I think it's kind of, you know, it's, it's kind of this idiosyncratic thing. Um, I think crypto is going to trade more in line with just like overall rate expectations, you know, inflation expectations, that sort of stuff um, until, until there's kind of more clarity there. And, and we see basically like pretty steady declines in inflation. Like once you see a few months steady declines, then I think crypto will start to trade much more independently. 
and it's already starting to trade a little independently, right? Like, you know, today, if you look at the equities market, uh, last I looked, equities is down, you know, significantly more than, than crypto was. So we're already starting to see the correlations break a little bit. Yeah, I see that Bitcoin starting to be much more correlated towards gold. Do you think that that is the next narrative for Bitcoin? So to become a hedge against emerging market currencies and maybe even not so emerging market currencies, the, the pound, even the Japanese yen, I see is back at intervention levels. Do you think that we may be moving into the next narrative of Bitcoin? You know, we had Bitcoin being an inflation hedge. We had Bitcoin being a peer-to-peer money that failed. We had Bitcoin being an inflation hedge, which worked in the days when there were inflation. Now we've got, you want to call it negative inflation. They're trying to bring inflation down, which effectively is, you can call it negative inflation. Um, do you think that the next narrative for Bitcoin, the next run for Bitcoin may actually be protect yourself against crazy currency devaluation? Joey, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I, I think so, right? Like, like if you look at, Bitcoin, it performed really well when there was a lot of currency printing, um, you know, a lot of money printing. Um, and then now that that's kind of stopped, it hasn't been performing as well, but it's starting to tick up again. Um, you know, you kind of saw this stuff happen in, in the UK. Um, I think there's going to be more things like that uh, due to what's happening with all the kind of Russian gas cutoffs and stuff uh, due to the Ukrainian war. And, and so I think like, as that starts to pick back up again, it probably is pretty positive for, for the price action of Bitcoin. So like, I think you have like two, two factors, right? You have like increased money printing in certain parts of the world, particularly in Europe. And then you have, you know, hopefully over the next six to nine months, the kind of, you know, inflation situation levels out as, as supply chains open up, the fed cuts start, you know, sorry, fed, fed hikes start having more effect throughout the economy. Um, And so you have one kind of factor that's sort of like, neutral to slightly positive and then one that's you know very positive historically for bitcoin price action which is increased money printing yeah tom what do you think bro let's get let's get we've got tom tom with us tom what do you think bro yeah i'm i'm ready you know i've heard the i've heard the narrative shift so many times in crypto well bitcoin uh it was kind of tinfoil hat in the beginning and then the store value currency it we've seen the definition definition of it shift around so much I do think that we are starting to see it act more like gold. I'm not going to kind of like pin my thoughts to it. I'm not going to get comfortable in that narrative because I've seen it switch up so many times. Uh, The correlations seem to be very fleeting. I do think we're heading into an environment where Bitcoin does have the potential to show extreme resilience. And we've seen that possibly already. Uh, Look at June's lows on stocks or indices and Bitcoin still hasn't broken 17.5. It's still hanging out. Um, I'm holding on to hope there until, well, at least until 17.5 if it breaks. Uh, it's showing relative strength. So I'm, I'm, I'm into it. I'm, I'm like not so uh, bullish on this quarter. I think this quarter's numbers are going to make Q3's numbers pale in comparison. I, I just wonder what the retail numbers are going to be. You know, Black Friday, I think it's going to be a complete disaster. And uh, 2023 is really setting up in a, a way that makes me uncomfortable. Um, <laughs> But it's a spicy time to be in markets for sure. What about what about the midterm elections happening in about a month? So, so there's about a month to the midterm elections. I don't know. I mean, just intuitively, Joe Biden going into midterm elections with markets at, at multi-year lows, or it's I guess weird, right? lows since he came into power, that doesn't really make much sense to me. I mean, he can pardon the people who were in possession or smoked marijuana. That will win him some votes. But I don't think that that's going to win him as many votes as or, or as many votes as he may lose on markets, which are at lows, so to speak. Yeah, it's, Mark, what do you think? it's baffling. No, sorry to me. Can we get some kind of rally into the midterms, Mark? Not not unless oil prices go down. Look, and, and that was the plan. I mean, Biden's had a plan to try to save the election. And he's basically being thwarted by the Fed, and by Saudi. And so, you know, the Fed, he had no control over the Fed, right? They're independent. And, and he can try to jawbone the Fed to, you know, do, do less. But, but the Fed, for whatever reason, is intent on breaking stuff. And as, as we talked earlier, the Fed, I believe, is, is causing the pain and they're, they're committing one of the worst policy errors in the history 
of, of financial markets, right? And you have to go back, you know, 180 years to find one worse. So I think that that's real. And, and the Saudi thing yesterday is big. Like we were on our way to $60 oil. We were on our way to sub $3 gasoline. And there, again, pull up the chart. There's an inverse correlation between presidential popularity and gas prices. When gas prices are high, people hate the president. Not necessarily his fault, but, or I guess it could be her, but not necessarily their fault, but they hate him. And so when gas prices go down, people, um, 6,500 people get released from prison. That's not enough votes to save the Democrats. They've tried buying people's student loans, and then they found out that might be illegal. So they're not going to get as many votes for that. You know, Gavin Newsom's trying to buy votes by giving people $1,000 checks. Okay, fine. By the way, that's what dictators do. Dictators buy votes by giving away free stuff. Argentinian free electricity, Venezuelan free stuff. I mean, bad people buy votes with free stuff. So we are a banana republic, and, and that's, that's why look, you say Bitcoin and gold. Bitcoin is digital gold, right? There's only been one money in the history of the world, gold. Everything else is currency. It's debt. It's credit. It's not money. Money is an asset that exists in the absence of a liability. There's only one thing in the entire world for 5,000 years, and that's gold. Bitcoin is better than gold. It's more portable and it's more divisible. Therefore, it, I believe for the next 5,000 years, will be the primary store of value. Now, that's a great use case. And that means it could be a, you know, five, eight, $10 trillion asset, relatively short order. That's fantastic. But then money, right, doesn't have to be currency. Money doesn't have to be fiat that can be devalued by governments at a whim. There have been 775 paper currencies in the history of the world. Three quarters of them no longer exist. Let that sink in. Three quarters no longer exist. The pound, sterling, is the oldest currency in the world, 380 some odd years. It used to get you one pound of sterling silver, hence the name. Now it would take you 174 pounds of sterling silver. And it, when, when they were the world reserve currency, back when the sun never set on the British Empire, before they invaded Mesopotamia in 1913, coincidentally, when the Fed was created, it was worth $5 per pound. Today, it's sub one because they lost world reserve currency status. They incurred a bunch of debt. The pound sterling collapsed. The dollar ascended. We became the superpower. Now, the dollar, despite the fact that Dixie is making new highs, the dollar's not going up. What yeah. do you mean, Mark? Dixie's going up. No, no. The yen and the euro are going down more, right? That's what's happening with the Dixie. Crazy Kurodasan has obliterated the yen, obliterated, like 35% this year. The euro obliterated, the pound obliterated. It is a race to the bottom, and we are the tall, you know, I'm about to say anything, tallest whatever. And the renminbi is going to be the beneficiary. It will ascend from a reserve currency to the reserve currency. Bitcoin ultimately probably becomes the reserve currency, becomes a reserve currency first, then the reserve currency. But this is all a long-term plan. All right, so we are, we are running out of time. I do have some very, very quick fire, rapid fire questions because they're coming from the, the audience. And I mean, they, they are our community. We've got to respect our community. There's a question here for you, Joey. And the question is, would you be buying XRP ever and especially now with with the heightened chance that they may beat the sec yeah i i don't i i don't think so like like we tend we tend to be buying more like of the kind of like you know kind of public smart contract platforms and then um you know kind of a lot of the DeFi stuff um to, to rules point earlier uh you know solana eth that's a that's a pair that we do do trade around a bit um same thing with eth bitcoin um and then stuff like Stuff like XRP, it's kind of just a different different narrative, um, and so I think not I'm for more you. not for yeah, you not guys. For us. I'm Tom, excited about the smart contract stuff. Tom, would you touch XRP? Come on, people say that that, nope. that Ripple is going to beat the SEC. Surely that's a, a buy signal on XRP. I mean, I have a little bit, you know, from 2017, like probably everyone does from back then. Tiny little bag. I, I'm not planning on adding. Uh, win or lose, it's it's Mark, not what I'm here for. Mark, I know you're not buying XRP, right? No, look, I, 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 I'm, I'm open. I was on a, on a show with a bunch of XRP army. Cause I, you know, I like to hear the other side and they were trying to convince me. And 
I don't see it. I mean, my, my biggest problem is it's too concentrated ownership wise uh, with the with the foundation that can be manipulated. You don't, you don't so. have to be. You don't have to justify it. I think we, we know the answer. All right, uh, Joey, best layer one other than Ethereum. If you were to put your money on the best layer one, most promising layer one other than Ethereum, where do you put your money today? Yeah, good question. Um, I, I think from like a tech standpoint, Nier is very good. From a traction standpoint, Solana has a lot of stuff built on it, especially on like a gaming. What's better, tech or traction? Um, I think traction, right? Like, like from like a price action traction uh, standpoint, traction is what is what drives prices more. Even uh, if even if tech is trading at one eighth of the market cap of traction, Nier is trading at about one eighth of the market cap. I think one eighth of the market cap of Solana. Do you still think that Solana is a better bet, or would you put your money on Nier? Well, we have we have our money on both. <laughs> um, you know, the great great part of being an investor is you can buy you can buy both. Um, and I would say, you know, short term right now, I do think Solana is probably pretty close. You know, probably already did have a low first ETH. Um, you know, we put on a position a few a few weeks ago, uh, some large kind of the point that that rule is talking about. Um, but you know, long term, like we we own both of them. All right, Tom, uh, best layer one other than Ethereum, Bitcoin. <laughs> Other than Bitcoin and Ethereum, oh man, I, I don't even know. Then uh, Cardano, just going by market cap. Oh, right. yeah. it's, sorry if that's too taboo. <laughs> okay, Mark, what do you think? Best layer one other than Ethereum? Uh, it's it's hard for me to 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 argue against Joey on this because he he's forgotten more about tech than I'll ever know. Um, but I, I probably lean toward Avox uh, Avalanche. Um, okay. I, I think it's I think it's superior in many ways to Solana. Um, but look, the, the Nobel prize four years ago went to, uh, uh, Romer and he said, it's not the best technology that wins. It's the one that gets critical mass first. So traction, as Joey said, wins. So it's hard to, to see why Solana is not an unbelievable buy here. Um, All right. L- but I, but I, I think some of the DeFi stuff is even more interesting than that. Uh, one more question. This one specifically to Joey. Um, Polkadot. So that we see a lot of developer activity on Polkadot when you look at the specific statistics. We also see a lot of VC funds holding Polkadot. What do you think of Polkadot? What do you think of the case for Polkadot? Yeah, so I think I think you see a lot of funds holding it, um, mostly because it's kind of an asset that that's been around a long time. Like if you look at when Polkadot did their did their crowd sale back in 2017, you know that, that was kind of the advent of new layer ones. And they're like the only credible team that you could invest in back then. Um, and, and so I think like that's, that's a large reason why so many funds own it. Um, if you again kind of look at the traction side though, I would say it's, it's been fairly tough to build on. Um, like if you look, if you look at where people are building these kind of like new um, kind of like custom app chains, a lot of the traction there has gone to the um, Cosmos ecosystem recently. And not really as much the the polka dot one. I think polka dot they need to basically just like um, work on the UX for developers, make it easier to use, and then you know it becomes more compelling. Um, but right now it's it's kind of losing versus Cosmos, I'd say in that in that regard. All righty, that's us for Friday banter. Joey, thank you so 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 much. Welcome to our Friday banter fam. Mark, thank you so 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 much. Tom, great to have you on, even though it was for a short period of time, but great to have you on. It was a, a complete surprise in the in the comments. So love you guys, part of the banter fam. Thank you so 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 much. Uh, we'll see you guys again soon, I guess. And for the banter fam, just hold on a second. Let's just say cheers to our guests. Much love. Thanks, thanks, Mark. Thanks, Joey. Thanks, Tom. Uh, sure. Remember, guys, just a few things before we go. Uh, first of all. Uh, this show was brought to you by NordVPN. you got to have a VPN if you're in crypto. And if you are going to get a VPN, well, then rather get the best VPN that supports crypto all along. And that's NordVPN. As I said, there's a referral link in the stream below. You can see the referral link over here. Don't go yet because What's I want to I wanna, all along I promise you guys that I'm going to um, 10, not 10x, but find some accounts. So here is the referral link. Just click there. Support NordVPN. We need them because they bring us these amazing Friday banters. We could never do it without them. You could never get this much alpha on one show. I mean, you had Ralph Paul, you had Joey Crew, you had Marcus Co. I think between them, they must manage $10 billion, $8 billion, $5 billion. Huge. I mean, these are the biggest managers. And that's all thanks to NordVPN. So do that. Secure your crypto for only $3 a month. Use this banter link. You get that. Next up, don't forget our trading competition. So we got the trading competitions. They're starting in like nine days. If you want to join, 
just go to the link below. And Tom, I expect you and your community to be here trading with us in our trading competition. Here's how it works. You can either sign up on Bybit or you can sign up on BitKit or you can sign up on Bybit and BitKit. Okay, so you can have two chances to win. If you're in the US, you can sign up on BitKit. You have to sign up using our referral link, which is here below. Once you've signed up with the referral link, you will click. You'll click that. You'll sign up with the referral link and then you will go to the competition page and sign up. I think there's about 400 people already signed up. Remember that you can win over $100,000, over $100,000 up for grabs. The winners get uh, $12,000, $14,000, and then we work all, all the way down. Uh, I also said to you guys that I would choose some people in the Discord later today. So if you haven't been in our Discord, go to our Discord. Uh, there is a link over, um, over here to the Discord. Click on the link there. Join the Discord. Tell us that you've signed up for the competitions. Join 22,614 other people. Tell us that you sign up and I'm going to be there later on in the show, dropping $250 to people funding their trading accounts um, for, for the trading competition if you guys want to participate. I want to make this the biggest trading competition out there. I want to make it the most fun trading competition out there. But mainly the idea behind this trading competition is to learn how to trade. And so Sheldon, Kyle, Bombay, Trillionaire, we're going to be here with you and we're going to be exploring different trading strategies all along and having fun in a bear market. So, guys, love you guys madly. I love Friday banters. You're never going to get more alpha per minute shows than our Friday banters. You're also going to never, you're never, ever, ever going to get bigger guests than our Friday banters. Uh, that I'll tell you. See you guys again on Monday or on the weekend if anything happens. Until then, have fun. Trade well, my friends. Much love, much love, much love. Good evening. Good evening.